0: Does talking about your money make you cringe are you tired of fighting about finances do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness then you are in the right place welcome to breaking money silence a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money your host kathleen burns kingsbury is doing what she does best as a young girl She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: I am very excited to be joined by Janice Shade today. Uh, Janice and I met at a women's conference in Vermont a couple of months ago, and I attended her crowdfunding workshop. I was intrigued with what she was up to, and so I invited her to have a conversation with me and the Breaking Money Silence listeners. So let me tell you a little bit about Janice. Uh, Janice Shade is the co-founder of Milk Money. It's a pioneering invest local crowdfunding platform that supports Vermont's entrepreneurial ecosystem. She is also the founding board member of the National Coalition for Community Capital and is seen as a national thought leader in this um, new movement. Her entrepreneurial experiences are the basis of an upcoming book that she, where she explores the impact of traditional capital markets on social entrepreneurism. That's a big word, ism, <laughs> provides a vision for how Main Street investors can be a positive force for change in their communities. And so Janice comes to this work with a lot of experience. Prior to becoming an entrepreneur, she worked for over two decades in strategic planning, brand management and Financial Services. She has a BS in finance from Boston University, an MBA in corporate strategy from Yale School of Management. And you're going to know that this is why I like Janice. In addition to the fact that she's very female friendly, she's an avid skier, hiker, and enthusiastic soccer and ballet Sherpa. Something tells me she drives her kids around a lot. She lives in Jericho, Vermont with her husband, two daughters, and a dog. Welcome Janice to the call. Thank
2: you, Kathleen. It's 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 exciting exciting to be be here here with you you. and maybe bring some of our conversations we've had before um, to other people who might be interested in what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I definitely think the listeners of Breaking Money Silence will be interested in uh, your uh, company and your perspective. And it's really an interesting one. So when we met, um, I guess it was last uh, fall, it was really um, great to kind of hear your perspective. So I want to share the myth that you decided to bring to the podcast today, um, the myth that we're going to bust wide open. So the myth you chose was for your average American, mutual funds are the only place to invest your savings. So I'm very curious to find out, Janice, what motivated you to bring that myth uh, to the podcast today?
2: Well, it's certainly one that I hear people talking a lot about. Um, when I talk about the business that I am in, which is, um, you know, running an equity crowdfunding platform where we're trying to help uh, local businesses raise capital from local investors and not just from people who would be considered accredited investors, you know, high net worth individuals, but from anyone and in increments as low as $250. Um, people still kind of bump up against well, the only place that you know I have capital that I could invest is in my IRA or my four hundred one k, and that's all in mutual funds. I you know I don't invest directly, so it it just comes up a lot in conversations. Um, you know, kind of the realities of only being for for the time being, only being allowed legally to invest your IRA or your four hundred one k in federally registered um, securities. But also, there's this. I think there's this myth of um, of investing directly in businesses that it's hard that you don't know how to evaluate what a good investment is, and so if you're not, you know, a, a Wall Street type, how would you be able to know what a good investment is to put your money there directly?
1: It's interesting because having been, you know, raised up uh, by conservative, a financially conservative family. Um, also, you know, working in the financial services field in some capacity on and off for over two decades. When I first saw this, you know, mutual funds are the only place to invest your savings uh, for the average American. I thought, well, yeah. So I guess on some levels, you know, I've certainly um, at times bought into that myth. So before we get into debunking it um, and really talking about some alternatives, I'd love to hear more about why this is a myth and help people who are listening in understand that they have more options than just mutual funds.
2: Yeah. And, and I also want to just go on record to say that I don't think mutual funds are bad. I think um, the, the concept behind a mutual fund actually is really great for, um, for an investor who does not want to put the time and energy into directly investing all of their money all of the time. You know, The whole idea behind mutual funds spreading uh, the risk of your investment among a number of different companies. It's that whole diversification thing. So I just wanna say that upfront. Um, and then to kind of get at the, the myth of it, I think it does kind of, you know, that, that diversification piece and that, that um, risk, uh, uh, I don't wanna say aversion, but you know the, the reduction of the risk theoretically by diversifying your portfolio, that's part of what contributes to the myth. It feels like it's a little more safe perhaps, than directly investing your money because you are spreading your investment among a a bunch of different companies. And perhaps because you're putting your faith, you're in a way kind of abdicating your responsibility for your money to uh, a a money manager. So I think a lot of that is what contributes to this myth of the mutual fund being the best place to put your money.
1: So I guess, you know, what I'm hearing is that you're you don't think it's a bad option, but it's not the only option. And so talk a little bit about kind of the other options, because I know for me, um, being new to kind of understanding a little bit about what you do and the crowdfunding, my initial reaction is like, ooh, it, you know, I'm not wealthy like the people on Shark Tank. I can't just put money in a business um, directly, but it sounds like I can. So, so talk a little bit about what are the other options that you think uh, are important for the um, you know average American to know about in addition to mutual funds.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, you know that people do have that you know that Shark Tank reaction of you know uh, that's not me, and so I can't do it with um, with the advent of crowdfunding that that started back in 2012, when President Obama signed into um, legislation, the JOBS Act, uh, that, that created the ability for cr- what is called crowdfunding. And that means being able to go to those non-shark tank, those non-accredited investors, and raising capital from pretty much anyone in much smaller increments. Um, it wasn't until May of 2016, it took the SEC four years to write the rules that allowed for this um, idea that that, uh, Congress and President Obama had with the Jobs Act for crowdfunding to actually be put in place. And in the meantime, a number of states said, hey, we can do this at the state level. And Vermont was one of them. Um, A number of other ones, Michigan, Oregon, um, Kansas, also took the initiative well before uh, the SEC finally wrote the rules around the JOBS Act and wrote these rules or regulations in their own states that allowed for anyone to raise capital from everyday uh, citizens. And the importance there is that what it allows is for people who are you know, living in a community and see a, uh, see a company that's growing up in their community, maybe they even know the founder or someone who works there, and they're watching this business grow and saying, I really believe in what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I wish I could invest in you. Until the Jobs Act was enacted, and and until some of these state-based regulations were put in place, those companies had to turn away those kinds of people unless they were accredited investors. Um, you know, I, I had this this example or this um, experience myself when I worked for Seventh Generation. I was at a consumer show and had someone come up to me and say, I love what 7th Generation does. I, I want to invest in you. And I had to turn the poor guy away after I had to in- ask him the embarrassing question, do you have a million dollars in net worth? So what this what these new regulations do is allow people to invest where their hearts are. They can see these companies working in their own community, growing and being successful. And now they can help be a part of them and contribute to the success and also participate, benefit. From the financial success of these companies in their own communities and towns and states.
1: So let me ask a quick question just to make sure that the listeners understand. You've mentioned the term accredited investor and uh, I think unaccredited or not accredited investor. Just briefly, can you tell us the difference? Yes.
2: Yeah, so an accredited investor is someone roughly defined as someone with a million dollars of net worth outside of their home. Or that has uh, makes two hundred thousand dollars a year for the last, I think, for the last two or three years, and has a reasonable expectation they will continue to be making two hundred thousand dollars a year. So anyone who doesn't fit that that definition is a non accredited investor. This definition came about; it was put in place by the SEC because it was it's it set it up as um as a measure of someone's level of "Quote unquote sophistication" when it comes to being able to invest their money. So, theoretically, someone who has that much money is smart enough to know how to invest it. And if you don't have that much money, you're not smart enough to, to know how to invest it directly. That's that's my that's my my kind of colorful spin on it. But that's kind of how it works out.
1: Well, what's interesting to me is given what I do for a living, you know, it doesn't matter how many um, zeros are after your salary or your net worth, that doesn't really tie to necessarily your financial literacy, your business prowess, your interest in investing. Um, so I, you know, I certainly have a strong reaction to that assumption. Um, so thank you for defining that. So, um, You know, as we move forward, what I want to talk to you about after just a quick break is, you know, what are the actions we can take? Because I'm sitting here as a female entrepreneur who's really interested in helping other female entrepreneurs. And I imagine that some of my listeners may identify. Um, with my desire, and so after a quick break, let's talk a little bit about you know what are the steps that they can take um, to you know learn more about you, your services, and about crowdfunding in general. So we'll be back in uh, one brief moment um, with Janice Shade to talk more about this myth of mutual funds are the only place to invest your savings. Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, talk more openly about finances and live a richer life explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication pick up your copy today breaking money silence is available on amazon and bookstores everywhere join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com So I am here with Janice Shade from Invest in Vermont. Um, Milk Money is her company that she's co-founded. And we are talking today about the myth and busting it wide open that the only option for the average American is investing in mutual funds um, to build your savings. And so what we've been talking about before our quick break was the idea that You know what, if you are somebody who, um, you know, wants to invest in a local company or sees uh, something uh, in your community that you think, boy, you know, this business is going to go somewhere, I'd like to be part of it, that now because of the JOBS Act, you can do this in certain states, I believe. So Janice, you'll have to clarify that. Um, so tell us if somebody's sitting there listening in today and saying, wow, you know, I'd be interested in investing in that bakery down the street or that, you know, maybe it's a a new uh, recreational, uh, park and you know the guy who's running it, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, what should people know, number one, about, um, taking their first steps in this arena? And, and number two, how do they make sure that they are making a wise decision and not overly, um, taking on too much risk.
2: Right. So, and risk is the key word there. Cause that's the the first word, first thing to, to realize is that this still is risky. Um, so no matter, you know, even if you know the person who's, who's running the business and you've seen it go, it's still a risky investment, um, just like anything is. So that's just the first thing to know. It's not a, it's not a sure thing. Um, we often, uh, suggest to people that they should, um, you know, carve off a certain part of their savings, maybe 5 or 10%, you know, whatever feels comfortable to them and have that be the pool that they use to invest in local companies. So don't put all of your eggs in the local basket um, just yet and, until you've maybe gotten a little bit um, more savvy with, with what you're doing and finding businesses to invest in. Um, the other thing to think about is... Yeah, when you're evaluating companies, you don't want to just go on, uh, you know, your gut, you don't want to just you don't want to just go with what feels good or, or invest in a company because you absolutely love their product. That's important. And it's a very important, it's a really good indicator of the, the potential success of a company. If you love the company's products and believe in what they're doing, there's a good chance that a lot of other people do too, and that they're on to something good. So that's a great first indicator. You do need to do your due diligence though. And any company that is seeking investments from, from, um, from anyone needs to have a robust business plan that you can look at, including financial projections. Now what we counsel are uh, our businesses that put their their campaigns up on our site for investors to look at. You don't have to have a 60-page, glossy, you know, crazy, uh, in-depth business plan with charts and graphs and all that kind of stuff. In fact, the best business plans are typically the, the, the ones that are more concise and direct. You want to just be able to tell who is this company, who's running it, what do they do, why do they do it, what's their product, Who wants their product? And where do they think they're going to go with it? It's kind of the simple basic questions that you want to be able to answer about a company. If you can't get those kinds of answers from their business plan or from talking with the the business owner, then it might not be the best investment for you. So
1: so it's start by knowing you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because diversification is a good investment strategy, uh, whether you're uh, working with a you know, a local business or whether you're working with, uh, you know, an investment firm or mutual funds, right? And then the second thing it sounds like is you want to, you know, trust your gut on what to explore, but then, you know, look at the business plan. Um, I know as a business owner, answering those questions isn't always easy, but you need to be able to answer those questions in order to then have a viable business that's going to have some profitability down the line. And in my sense is that's what you're talking about, Janice.
2: Absolutely, Right. You, you, need, you need to know that the, the business owner is at least thinking about all of these different aspects of their business.
1: So I'm going to ask about the numbers, right? Because that tends to be the place that people are like, Oh, well, you know, they had the right answers and um, my gut says it's a good product. And, you know, my sense is people should also drill into the numbers. And so I know for some of our listeners, that might be exciting for them. And for some of our listeners, they might say, Oh, I, you know, I don't want to do my own analysis. So tell me a little bit about how they can go about that and maybe a little bit about how your um, company, MilkMoneyVermont.com, can be helpful.
2: Yeah. So yeah, absolutely, you need to look at the numbers because that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Um, and again, what we counsel our businesses when they're putting campaigns up is not to, um, not to put up analysis paralysis t- type of numbers. Uh, the simpler and more straightforward, the better. What people need to be able to gather from your financial projections are How do you make money? Uh, How much much do you think you'll be able to sell? How much does it cost you to make it, you know, make whatever it is that you're selling? And and then how much does it cost to run the underlying business uh, to to keep the business going forward? So those are kind of pretty basic numbers. It it, it boils down to on the on a, um, a profit and loss statement, what you're looking at is revenue, cost of goods sold. So the revenue is how much you think you're going to be making and how much you can sell. It's actually how much you can sell. Cost of goods sold is how much it costs to make that. And then you have the expenses, which you know can be lumped into pretty general categories like sales and marketing, um, web or IT, um, general and administrative, and maybe salaries. You can keep it that simple so that people can get a good sense of what it takes to run this business. And you can gather a lot from analyzing those numbers. For instance, you know, if you look at a business that starts off with, you know, projections of a 100,000 in sales for the first year, maybe $250,000 in sales for the second year, and then it jumps to 3 million in sales. They might be right, they might be on to something, but it's, it's something for you to just take a look at. It's a, it's a, it's not a red flag. It's just something that's curious. And you might want to probe on that. What's going to change in that year three that's going to take you from 250,000 in sales to 3 million and be able to ask those kind of questions. So it's, it's, I think a lot of it is common sense. You know, another thing is, um, you know, if you look at the sales and marketing line of something, you know, it sales and marketing typically should run 10 to 15% of your total uh, revenue budget. So if something's really out of whack there, you might want to find out why.
1: Those are great indicators for people to start to uh, look at the numbers. Now I imagine uh, here in Vermont, right? Somebody who uh, could, you know, contact your firm and you could help them understand the numbers a bit, or at least refer them to somebody who could, but can somebody also work with their financial advisor? If that person is open, um, to participating in this process with you um, we, to understand those numbers?
2: We strongly recommend you working with a financial advisor to help you, uh, you. know, If you have someone who you know and trust, that would be a great person to help you analyze these things. And, and one of the things that we're starting to do now is go out into the financial advisory community. Um, we'd like to start doing um, just kind of brown bag lunch educational things with, with certified financial planners and financial analysts about these types of investment opportunities, to make them aware that they're available to their clients. And so that if their clients do come to them, um, they're able to help them find their way through to what's what's best for their investment portfolio.
1: So one of my last questions, because time goes so quick on this podcast, is, is there a gender difference in terms of the folks that are interested in investing in this way and in, in using crowdfunding? Or is it something that both men and women typically are open to?
2: You know, it's interesting. We've, you know, we, we have kind of still have small sample size. But, um, you know, as we've looked at our statistics, we found that it's fairly even between male and female, but slightly tipped more towards female which I, you know, we're, I'm not surprised at. Um, I I think women are more interested in investing in um, you know, investing for the, what might be called the softer values of, you know, I want to invest in a company that I think is doing well by the environment or doing uh, creating jobs, you know, more of the, this, having the social return on investment. Um, A lot of the men that we talk to, um, uh, not all of them not all of them because like i said half about half of our investors are men but a lot of men still uh, kind of have that return bias it's like well i could make so much more money if i put it in wall street so um, that's you know that all of this is anecdotal but it's it's promising to see that this is where i think women are you know women want to become more empowered with their their money and i think we're giving them a way to dip their toe in the water of investing directly.
1: I think it's exciting. I'm so thrilled that you were able to come on Breaking Money Silence and share a little bit about your work and your thoughts about crowdfunding. And um, I know that you are doing great work here in Vermont, but my sense is uh, uh, you will uh, have an impact uh, nationally as well. So Janice, tell people a little bit about how they can find out more about your firm and about you if they're interested in having a follow-up conversation.
2: Sure. So anyone who is whether you're starting a business or have a business that needs capital, or if you want to invest in a local business, um, you can find us at milkmoneyvt.com. And you can get me at Janice at milkmoneyvt.com. One of the things that we're starting to ask people to do is that if there's a company that you'd like to invest in that you don't see up on our website, let us know and we'll go talk to them and say, people want to invest in your company, you might want to consider trying one of these local investment campaigns. So um, we'd love to hear from people about what kinds of companies in Vermont that, they, that they're that they interested to invest in.
1: Great. And you know, I've been to the website, people should check it out. There's some great stories, um, case studies, and it's really an interesting way of thinking about uh, investing your money in a way that fits with your heart, but also as in a Uh, You know, as Janice really highlighted today, that it's doing your due diligence, but also being able to put your money where you might be able to see the impact more directly. So thanks again, Janice, for being a member or a guest here on Breaking Money Silence. I've really enjoyed the conversation and, and look forward to seeing where your company goes.
2: Thank you so much for this opportunity and keep doing the good work that you're doing. I'm excited to be connected with you.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.